Welcome to the Creative Minds Podcast with me, Callum Hughes. Something for your mind. Thanks everyone for joining. This is episode three of my Creative Minds Podcast series, joined by Wilf Gregory. I'm sure he won't mind me saying one of the biggest promoters in the industry. Um, I, I know you're a little bit flattered, mate, and a bit humbled, but um, it's, it's only right. So, obviously, I, I came across you a while back with me working in like this side of the industry now more more behind the scenes and with with what you're doing not in terms of personality but like with with work ethic i thought this guy's like the elon musk of the music industry like the amount of the amount of brands that you're involved in so i saw obviously a fair few years ago you started the duo north base then you did metropolis then now you've got worried about henry lost and found hideout loop Calucula, all these different brands you've either like founded or you're involved in. So, I mean, I, I struggle just normally doing my normal job and then doing my little bits on the side. So I'm just intrigued. Where where do you find the time to do to do all these things? Um, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I don't, uh, probably, sadly, I've made work my life. If that makes sense. So, um, I think everyone should work. And so. Even if I was at the football match and everyone's like, you know, it's United Liverpool, and they're like sending an email about something, you know. Um, and also, in, in theory, good management, good teams, good people. You know, if you've got good people around you, people you trust, people who you know are doing what they need to do, then it's not hard. And once you figure out what it is that people need from you, um, whether you're the leader or the organiser or the, you know, whatever it is, that's then, you know, it's easy to fit in that bit. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just saw, I just saw. Re- where the time comes from, yeah. Yeah. I just saw Alicia commented. Um, she She's obviously a really talented artist that she thinks a lot of you. And she say, she just said, good teams. Yeah. My, mine ain't bad. So obviously she's bigging you up there, mate. Anyway. Well, and also, and, and to pick up our kid. Love you, our kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like, some businesses sell themselves. Mm. Are you with me? Some people, you know, it depends. Some things are more hands-off. Usually things that are new. I'm a bit of a magpie. I like new and shiny things. Just things that are new and exciting, they'll grow. And it's understanding where they are in the growth curve of a business. Yeah. You know, so now, like, things like Hideout and Lost and Found have a different amount of time you put into them. Yeah. Um, and have different needs being... Um, you know, more established products than brand new things and so on and so on. And, and it's, you know, same with artists, isn't it? Yeah. Some, some people are just doing everything themselves anyway. You know, some people, you you, you know, you've got to do everything for them. You know? Yeah. It's, it was interesting what you said, though, about the importance of having a good team around you because... See, clearly you've got that entrepreneurial mindset, but you also have to be realistic about how much time you invest because there's only 24 hours in a day. And if you've got a vested interest in so many projects, it's only right that you need to delegate certain roles because you physically can't do everything. And and that's why it's right what you were saying about building the relationships with people who you know you can trust. If, If you give them a job, they'll do it and they won't let you down. Having great teams or being, you know, trusting companies you outsource stuff to, isn't it? 
Yeah. You know, if, if you're an artist, you might go, all right, I trust them to master a record for me. Or, you know, you have a production guy at a festival. I know he's doing his job. You know, he'll only ever call me or contact certain people in our team to say, all right, okay, there's this problem or we need to spend this on this. Yeah. Know, so having a, it's, always, it's the pyramid structure, isn't it? Yeah. If you sit properly on top of the pyramid, it's, you know... Yeah, definitely. Should be easy. <laughs> yeah, it, sh- it should be, but <laughs> I know. I mean, with it, with everything that's going on at the moment, obviously, I'm 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 really sorry that someone like yourself. It doesn't matter whether you're at the low end of the industry or the high end. I can imagine that, unfortunately, you've had a, a hell of a lot to deal with with everything that's going on and trying to rearrange. And there's so much uncertainty. Yeah, I, I think you know, in, in this current climate, it's about going well. You know, I, I, I use this term, you know, we're lucky not to be strafed by the Luftwaffe. Yes, there's mm. a horrendous disease. It's killing people. Let's support the people that really need support. I am obviously devastated that we're not getting to do what we love to do um, and, and what I believe we do really well. Yeah. But also, you know, there's some people out there going through horrendous times and there's a lot of people with job uncertainty and all sorts of stuff and that... That's been really painful working in a lot of different countries. Um, you know, the UK, as much as people do or don't like the UK or Boris or any of that stuff, the furlough scheme and a lot of stuff that is being presented for as many people as they can is actually really good. Whether that damages the country in three, five, ten years' time, we'll deal with. I know some people in America right now who you got your $1,200 check. That's you. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. Your job you've got $1,200. Now, mm. to me, that's a scary world. Definitely. Whereas, you know, in the last few days, we've gone, all right, we're going to furlough people. We've had to furlough people. Um, and I've tried to say to people, to, you know, take the furlough now. And, and and then if we need to help you with money later down the line, then we've got it and we can do that. You know, whereas some companies have tried to keep people going through this and then... You know, it's not easy and there's no perfect answer. The problem is, is there's always gaps. People will always, uh, you know, fall through the net. Yeah. Um, and I'm really sorry for a lot of the people who are out there struggling or, you know, stuff's going on because it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, definitely, which is a massive shame. So when I was yeah. reading more about you, I was saw that you first started off DJing when you were about 16 and then it took off from there. So I know it's probably difficult for you chronologically to say, obviously, I know you, you'll know where you started, but then you worked on so many different things. Where where did it first start and then how did it progress into what, what it is now? did you get to the next level though from there because obviously clearly you started at a young age so obviously you, you obtained that experience and you, and you weren't afraid to get your hands dirty by doing different things in the industry so how did you go from like that level then to 
where you are now? Obviously, it takes years, but how did you feel it gradually probably, progressed? Probably, probably being ruthlessly gambling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is, um, no, Metropolis, if you think of Metropolis as a point, uh, we did some things um, at an event called Conduct, which was all about new talent, young people, all this stuff um, around Manchester. Um, that was a really good insight with Marcus Intellects, Marcus DC, Sappho. Um, having good, you know, having people like XDC and Sappho as my peers and mentor. Yeah. Uh, incredible. You, you, you know, I don't know what you'd pay to have people like that around you now, and they just supported me as a youngster all the way through. So, you know, maximum respect to them. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Yeah. And then. Um, I did Squiggle de Mash for a few months with Vitilia, which were incredible parties at the time. Incredible. And then we, me and Vitilia stopped working together. And, we, and me, Marco D, who was one of the um, editors of ACM magazine, and DJ Silver, who at the time was also an Accidental Heroes, um, come up with Metropolis. Um, and we just started from there. And, and that's 18 years old this October. Yeah. Um, if we get a club show away, mm. probably two, two, two metres away from everyone in the <laughs> so that works. But, um, and I think the, the next big leap from that, probably, um, other than doing a lot of cities and getting support in a lot of cities and doing a lot of things like that, was uh, deciding to do Hideout. Yeah. Hideout was a big step. Yeah, um, and I, I think it was two thousand and nine. I think it's coming up it's ten years now, isn't it? I've I've never been yeah. personally. Like I've been lucky. Like the the girl that I manage, she went on tour with Hannah once this year and last year, and obviously Hannah's played it for 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 years. But I went. I've been to Sonus, where Sonus is Sonus is the same place as Hideout, isn't it? On Papaya yeah, and there yeah, and that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, it is um, definitely. Probably one of the best when, festivals I've been to out of anywhere right. in the world. Unbelievable, I need the view, the clubs, everything. Yeah. Um, I think that, that was a big leap. Um, and, and, and we've hide out, you know, we tried other things on known festival. There was a few things we tried. And I, I stuttered for a bit. Because I thought it was a sort of one-hit wonder, and I won't take all the glory of Hideout, certainly not. Mark no, yeah. Steve Ellison, The Warehouse Project, Dan Blackledge, they were all the partners in it. We, You know, we were all mad to take a punt at it, but it was, yeah. you know, what a mad thing to do. Um, but I think the next leap in that generation was then the the start of Lost and Found. Yeah. Um to have Annie believe in us and I worked um, really closely at the start of that with Mustard Media, Rob, Holly and Ed, incredible, you know, Jason, uh, Jennings really come to the fore with um, a lot of travel and understanding and when that popped off, I mean, like, we put out on sale the first year, the third week of November, like, <laughs> you, you've got to really be a bit special to do that, you know what I mean, like, you're not, you're not the most clever. <laughs> you might as well be playing on the train lines or something. It's not what you should do. And uh, and um, yeah, we sold out in three days. Mad, isn't it? And I knew then. I was a bit like not. I knew then. I was like, I know I'm lucky, and I am lucky. God bless. 
than I am lucky. I'll yeah. take it for granted. Um, I knew there was something there, and then it, it's just gone on from there. BPM Europe is great. Rolling Loud, yeah. Afro Nation. Afro Nation is nuts. So Rolling Loud just blew me away this year as well. We're not being able to do the show. Um, well, it doesn't appear we will be able to, but um, on from there. But I was playing that. I forgot. Thirteen years ago, we started something in Australia called Origin. So I don't know how many people know that I'm part of that, but that was a, an argument in a hotel room because we were doing Metropolis for one year in Ibiza because someone made a bet with me that we couldn't do it. <laughs> I was like, fuck you, yes, we will. We're doing this. And uh, we did Kenya, and then we ended up moving into Eden on a Wednesday night with garlands. And, um, yeah, yeah, usually don't bet me not to do something. I'm like, that's very well. it because I think a lot of people they they play it so safe and they're not willing to take that calculated risk and it's like you're never going to go to that next level unless you unless you're ballsy and you take that risk and like you say it might not pay off but you don't know until you try and I think the problem is where I grew up was a small town called Shrewsbury and yeah (laughs) I was cycling past there before and don't get me wrong, it's nice being back, but when I was growing up, like I was surrounded by, because it's a small town, you've got that narrow-minded mentality and everything I wanted to do, everyone was very dismissive and trying to put me down and laughing. And that's when I knew that I had to move away because if you surround yeah. yourself with negative people and you're in that environment, then you're never going to want to do it because you'll be too afraid of other people's opinions and what they're going to say. Whereas when you surround yourself, like me moving to Birmingham is the best thing that I ever did. And then being able to meet so many like-minded people in different cities and different countries because they're all forward-thinking, they're all creative, they all want to take that risk. And that's where you feel like, okay, yeah, it might not pay off. Like, I mean, I know that you've done a lot of things that are successful, but I'm sure you wouldn't mind admitting and openly saying that there's also a lot of things that you failed at, but your failures, yeah. your failures are what make you better and what you learn from. Definitely. But I would also say I'm a bit pig-headed if someone told me, you know, one of the reasons I promoted more is because people wouldn't book me or maybe they wouldn't book me because I wasn't a good DJ or they didn't like me or, the, you know, there was a hundred other DJs. So I was also like, fuck you, I'm doing this. Yeah. You know, so you've got to have that. So in Shrewsbury, if I'd been in Shrewsbury, I would have been like, fuck you, I'm doing this event. I mean, with it, would, it wouldn't have worked, who knows? Yeah. Know? But also you've got to find your groove, you know what I mean? And like you say, you, you went to Birmingham, you found your momentum, that's important. You know, to find that and find like-minded people on the journey, because it's a journey. There's no rule book. Yeah, it's true. I'd say this to everyone: if you're a DJ and you don't take risks when you play out, you're not doing nothing. If you're a producer and you don't take risks, we'll never make nothing. 
just follow the groove of something else. It's true, man. It's all, it's all based on the cliff edge, you know? Yeah. And, and all I've done is just increase the risk every time, but taking it with what I've learned from other places. Yeah. You know? Definitely. It has, it has to be that. That's where, you know, that's where glory or failure is, is, is defined, isn't it? Absolutely. Otherwise, you sit in the middle of the path, and I'm certainly not the top of the pile by any means of it. But, you know, like you say, you have to, you have to try things. If you try something and you fail, then you did everything you could, then you can stand there and go, well, I, I know I couldn't do any more. Exactly. You know? I, can, I can book all this talent, and if it sells the tickets, I'm like, yeah, great. Maybe you'd go, oh, I didn't need to book that. The worst thing is, right, that didn't work. Oh, if only I'd bother doing that. So I've never been that person, you know. Yeah. So that that's wicked. But when you were mentioning Hideout and Lost and Found as well, obviously that's completely new territory. So I was intrigued. But when when you're collaborating with people overseas, I know you said that you'll have like your your partners here that will be based in the UK. But obviously then you're you're collaborating with people in kind of uncharted territory. So like Croatia and then Malta. And I was I was reading more about lost and found and, and you were saying yeah. that really that was probably your most ambitious project to date because malta was never really a destination that was used for festivals and there was going to potentially be so many stumbling blocks but w- would you say that probably is your most ambitious project or one one of um yeah that and australia and and, and well i mean afro nation last year was punchy yeah, we, we're just going to go and do a, a massive Afro Beats festival on a beach in Portugal. You know, there wasn't, there isn't a big Afro Beats festival in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> so what we're makes what makes there. you think of it then? You're so gonna get on the plane, you're going to get on a bus, and you're going to pay for a hotel and and all that stuff. But packaging things around music festival tourism, but Malta. The interesting thing with Malta is 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 the guys that we have on the ground there, Nicky, Ed, um, Jerry and Trev, they're badass. Yeah. They, they kick ass. They're, they're some the biggest promoters on the island. So we knew that the partners were good. Um, and they have great, you know, they're, they're great. It was punchy in the thought of going, okay, like, everyone knew someone who went to Malta and they were Yeah. <laughs> but that that's so, one yeah, that's yeah, one thing probably, yeah. looking back yeah <laughs> you look back with rose tinted glasses yeah Malta was probably absolutely insane yeah but I suppose that that's what makes you stand out is you think you know what it is insane but it's a gap in the market if I don't if I don't try I I don't know you, 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 I, I used to live with a school backing onto my house and it said from the window, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you never take. Well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you don't shoot, how you, you, it's impossible to score, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. Where do you think, before we move on, that you get that risk taker, entrepreneurial, creative mindset from? Are, are your parents quite similar as well, or do you think it's just naturally something you just born no, with? And... My, my dad, my dad is, but more, my mum's a brummy. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, for my father, definitely my father was, you know, was successful in business, made his own businesses. Um, 
and, and also, rightly or wrongly, you know, I'm an addict, you know, so I, 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 I will take risks. I'm dangerous, you know. Yeah. I, I live in that world. Some people um, adverse to risk. They won't do it. You know, at the end of the week, someone needs to pay them. You know, you're in a different world when you do the paying or your payment relies on you. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's a distinct difference in people. And it's not saying one's better than the other. It's just, you know... Yeah, risk taker. Yeah, definitely. So with you saying that your old man ran his own businesses, because you were exposed to that, obviously, growing up, then you saw that firsthand and did that in, in a way. I know that you've you've taken your own path. It's not like you're living off his name, but to an extent, would you say that inspired you to go on to do what you've done in a way? A, a, a bit. I, I mean, I, I was naughty as a youngster, so, you know... Um, I, I have a, a story that I've been writing a book and, and one of the chapters at the start is, you know, how, how did you get into this? And it was just like, I remember saying to the teacher, very young, five, six years old, like, what do we come to school for? And it's like, oh, to learn. And what do I learn for? To get an education. And what do I need an education for? And she said, oh, a job. And I said, what do I want a job for? And they said, to get money. And I thought, well, fuck that, get money. <laughs> do you know, you know what, 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 what's this? thing let's just do that yeah you know seeing opportunities seeing the family you know like you have to you know that's i i, I don't know that's a blessing something that i have or haven't been given and don't get me wrong I've, I've i've taken punts on things that have gone wrong of course but yeah you know like you said you made the move from shrewsbury to birmingham i bet people said oh you're mad what are you doing you know <laughs> definitely but you know as well, you have to. I believe in the chakras. Do you know what I mean? Can I imagine a better future? What does my gut say? I go very much off intuition. Yeah. You know, if you're not if you're not working like that, I don't I don't know how you do a lot of things. A lot of people base things just over the numbers. Mm. I'll be honest, that isn't how I work. Yeah. You said to me, let's do an event. I'll just draw a festival budget on the back of a fact packet. And if, it looks, <laughs> if it feels fucking good, we're going to And if it will. Works, it works, and if it doesn't, we'll live in a wheelie bin. Hey, sorry. Someone just called me then. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to have you on. I'm not a official call. Um, that that's not how I did. Because otherwise, if you really looked at the numbers, there is this much money to get people to get on a plane to go on Malta. Are <laughs> uh, you insane? I know. We I, wouldn't do it. I think. That, that that's what you say and I, I don't mean this disrespectfully because i'm sure you you've even said it and you'd agree that you do have to be a little bit mad because if you really lay down the numbers you wouldn't be able to sleep at night you think no nah, no nah, there's, there's too much risk there i can't do it so i suppose it does take a lot behind the, the genius there is a little bit of calculated madness because otherwise you Complete wouldn't madness. do it yeah <laughs> Yeah, definitely. But when I looked more into your socials, I know that you're involved with like house and techno brands as well as like your, your drum and bass brands as well. But I get the impression, correct me if I'm wrong, that first and foremost, bass music is your love, like your your your, your first love. So I was looking yeah. more at recent projects. I worried about Henry. 
So where does the where does the name come from that? Because I, I I just couldn't fathom it at all. And well, I, I don't really know. So so I'm a great believer in supporting people. So we're in Manchester, and um, I see this night, and I'm like, the old me's like, who the fucking hell's that? Let's shut him down, beat him up. You don't come in our city. And then I thought, I'm bollocks that. This is amazing. Look at this person's just come in. Like he don't give a fuck. He don't care who I am. They're doing their shows. I thought, oh, interesting. And then I was like, where else did you do these shows? The internet's amazing, isn't it? Remember, I started promoting when there was no such thing as the internet. I am that old. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, fuck, he does these shows all over. And I was like, I'm going to reach out to this person. I like this. You know, like, they don't fucking care. And that's that's a good thing. You know, and I reached out and, and, and Christy invented Worried About Henry. And he's fucking great. He's nuts. He's from Brighton. Um, he's young and charismatic, and, he, and he's, he's, it's a bit different. It's sort of like promoting by numbers. He'll just go, I think that'll work. That's the numbers we need. That's how we promote it through socials. This is how this is. And and, and I like it, because he will look at things and think, I, there's something in that. And, yeah. And, yeah, and, and so we teamed up, and, um, yeah, it's gone nuts from there, really. Yeah, about... We've done, I don't know, 90, about 100 shows between January and March. Oh, shitty COVID, you know. He was just like, yeah, bit tiring, if I'm honest. Yeah, I bet, mate. Definitely. But, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that... I work some um, probably smaller shows. I know that you you know Tom Shorters quite well. I work for him oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. with his um, yeah he's he's a good bloke. Uh, he's, he's taught me a lot to be fair. But I, yeah, with the um, with with the bass artist, I've noticed that we're worried about Henry. It's more of a collective rather than just one specific subgenre. It's like bringing everything all together. Yeah. Which which seems really good to be fair, rather than just. <laughs> I mean, Metropolis ended up being that in the end. I think it was inevitable. I think, like, going through drum and bass, like, I, I think, I wouldn't say we had a rocky patch, but it was up and down. A dubstep just fucking smashed through like COVID, mate. Yeah. I, I, and, and, and a lot of the, the dubstep people paid homage and loved the D&B people and, and, and merging those things together. And I'd always booked some hip-hop breaks music as well you know a lot of stuff like that was you know i think it's fundamental it's, it's good just to have dmb raves but as a promoter it's also my job to try and educate people do something different you know and, and i before we just did the mad worried about any things like that i always used to think some of my warehouse project things i'd be like would i pay to go to that yes i would yeah a bit more on them yeah <laughs> you know but, but that's where I think that me personally, like as someone who's up and coming in the industry, I think the reason why, part of the why you've been so successful is because you said that from a young age, like you, you did the DJ and you did the handing out flyers, like more than anything, like you're a raver. So when you're yeah. putting on your events, you'd want to know that as a customer, you're having a good experience because I think you can have a load of money behind you but unless you know what your customer wants and what you think is going to work, then the business model will fail. Like it's not, it's not going to work. You can have all the money in the world, but unless you know the industry and you know the scene, then it's not going to work, is it? Yeah, you, you've got to be true. It, 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 I think 
you know, in this, in, in, we, we have a saying, a pirate knows a pirate, you know, like you, you just know, do you know what I mean? And I've done some things and thought, mm, you knew before you did that, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, and there's other things where you're just like, I oh, fuck, this is going to just fucking wallop. <laughs> and it does, and, and sometimes you go, fuck me, that, it, it scares you. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. It, you know, when you're on it, bang, the post goes up, and you're like, oh, do you think people will like it? And within five minutes, it's just gone wallop all over the world. And you go, shit, okay, that was pretty mad. <laughs> we do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously you do, because you keep doing it and doing it, so. addiction, yeah, 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 it's gambling, in it? Yeah. It's like, yay, more, tickets <laughs> in the basket. Yeah, oh, it, it was like that, should I say. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure hopefully, fingers crossed, by next year when it all blows over. I mean, hopefully it's sooner, but it's really hard to say, isn't it, at the moment? <laughs> we'll get them involved, get, bring them into the chat if we can. We could do, actually. That was Ed Norris from Mustard Media, and the first of the four was MC Mindstar, so they got prepared with you. I feel flattered, I feel flattered, mate, the fact that you're rejecting calls from such important people to speak to me. <laughs> no, mate, I, you know, I enjoy this. <laughs> I remember the, the past or the middle, uh, wherever we are. So, when I approached you a couple of months ago, because initially I wanted to do a face-to-face chat, but, I mean, I, I know it's not exactly silver linings, but the fact that I've managed to kind of get some time with you now, because I think face-to-face might have been out of the question, because... Whenever I watch you, one minute you're in America, then you're in Ghana, then then you're here, there and everywhere. But I know that when I initially approached you, one of the topics for the overall podcast that I wanted to do was on addiction and sobriety. And obviously, I, I, I appreciate you, you know, saying you're an open book and, and feeling comfortable, yeah. obviously, to, to, to speak about it. So, we, I mean, with you DJing from such a young age, and I know that, you know, you, you, you've said in, in a funny way that, you know, you, you liked playing up when you were younger. When did you feel that, like, the reliance on, like, the substances and the and the alcohol became progressively worse and then you started to deteriorate and you thought, I need to really address this now and then you start uh, to sort of turn around? Well, well, I'll be honest, the, the drink and drugs were, were, were part of before the music sadly so I was involved in that very young uh, very young too young um, and I've had periods where I did or didn't drink but I used substances or didn't use substances well I smoked weed for a very long time a very long time 18 years from 10 to 28 yeah. so that was a bit mad you know that was you know a bit too young um, but I can give him a shout I've seen him on here before uh, hanging around with Scream and Hatcher and Jack Master. <laughs> I'll put the nail in the coffin. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, um, I, I've been through, um, I've been through a lot of substance misuse up until about the age, age of 18 or 19. Um, and then I managed to give up class A substances and I took small weed and had alcohol till 28. And then I came out of a long-term relationship of nearly 10 years or something like that um, and went hard then, went yeah. really hard. Um, and, and, and I knew that I, I was either going to get clean or I was going to die, I think. 
and I was going to lose everything along the way. Everyone was just like, fuck this, can't, can't even sort of work with me. It was pretty... Really? Yeah, it was pretty outrageous, I think. Yeah. But then you hear other people rock and roll stories, and you're like, damn, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> but then also, I wasn't as big or as famous as them, if you know what I mean. I wasn't famous at all, I wasn't even that big. Um, so, at 33, eight years clean and sober next month. Oh, that's good, mate. Well done. Yeah. Goes without so, saying, you should be proud, man. It's it's a long time, that is, to be completely sober and yeah. clean. And, and, and I think you have to be honest, you know, it's... You get signs of where you are along the journey. If You know, if you get them glimpses of reality, um, and I knew I didn't really, used to really sleep, um, it wasn't fun anymore. It was suffering. It was pain. You know, you could... It wasn't good, mm. you know, and and I and I was miserable, and I was a bit like, you know, I was miserable with me, not with the people I hung around with, and, I, and I, there was loads of great times. Don't get me wrong, loads of mint times, loads of things you just went, you know, if if that and that wasn't involved, it wouldn't have been this. Yeah, you know what I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, I definitely know what you mean, mate. <laughs> but it, it, it sort of <laughs> the last time I, I used. We were at Beach Break Festival down near Cardiff or somewhere. And we drove back and forth the Seven Bridge between Cardiff and Bristol eight times lost. I mean, you can only go up or down a, a, a bridge one or the other way. It's how the fuck are you lost? We're either heading to Cardiff or we're going to Bristol. Either way, we're trying to get back to Manchester. Well, we did that for two or three hours, and I just thought, this is just fucking nuts. Completely fucking nuts. You, you know, like, that was, it was just the end of it, and I'm there screaming at everyone, and everyone's just like, but you keep saying, go that way. And we just kept just driving around the Seventh Bridge, and, and I managed to get home and actually went to sleep and, and hide out festival. The second year was. Uh, about eight or ten days later and I got there and I was ten days clean and sober and I knew I'd managed to lose a load of weight and get a grip and uh, I thought if I can get through this I can get through anything because the year before I stayed up for five days bloody hell so that's an insight into where it sort of was yeah I think I think that's the point isn't it is you, you will look back and laugh at some of the the moments over the years and like you say you think oh well if i didn't take this or drink that it might not have been the same but it gets to the stage where when you're suffering and it's not fun and it's painful probably more mentally than physically that's when you think well actually i might be in this position and i might be involved with all these projects but i'm not enjoying life and that's where you, you know that you have to make the change but what what i'm intrigued about though is so because you're, you know, that this is your full-time work, working in the music industry, you're always in that environment. How is it that you restrain yourself now when you have that self-discipline? Is it because you know what the repercussions will be and what you'll go back to? Or do you just think, I'm just not, I'm not bothered anymore. I've been there and I've done it. Um, uh, well, it's a combination of all of it. You know, um, we couldn't be doing what we're doing if I did what I did. Oh, I couldn't be doing it. Does that make sense? People wouldn't wouldn't necessarily want me around. Yeah. Um, my judgment and certain things wouldn't be there. Um, 
and it wasn't fun. It was misery. Mm. I, I'll use with you until you know one of us dies, or it's like I've got to go. You know, like it used to end up like that. You know, go out on Thursday, come home on Monday or Tuesday, and you'd find different people you'd party with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go out with Callum Wednesday nights, didn't it? And you'd be like, yeah, what have you been up to? Yeah, yeah, n- nothing. Night before you was out with next person, and this, you know, you start having those things, and, and also you. you we have a thing in it called stinking thinking, and I had um, yeah, it's shit to say, but I've started going like, you know, stinking coke shit. I want fucking inject it. Mm. I'd had a thing with crack cocaine when I was 16, 17. So, you know, like I know, and I'm gonna, you know, I want more. You fought Mike Tyson. Now let's fight Muhammad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's that again, that addictive nature of where you'll push. You always want to push and see how far you can go and and, and how things work and, and and my thinking was was certainly very distorted and my actions were were not uh, of of a sane mind. Yeah. You know? But at least at least it's really good though now that you're channeling that into like you, I know that you're passionate about like your your fitness and lifting heavy and that and all your brands and that and at least you know now that that like that like addictive personality and all the energy you're putting it into something positive instead of something negative that's sort of what we call them positive addictions but they're still addictions they're still dangerous the you, you, we call it you go around the mental health you know the addiction tree you know so have i really dealt with my demons possibly not do you know what i mean mm. i've learned to live with them better than i did yeah um in the environment that we're in but then i also and again, it's dangerous. Some of my ego's a bit like, well, if I don't use, then hopefully I'm a beacon to other people um, to, to realise that they don't need to on what they can do and be. Um, but it, it's, it's not easy, but nothing is, is it? And yeah. vice versa, you know, half the people don't have a problem. Half the people go, oh, I am going home and I am going to work and I've got responsibilities and I've got this and... I'm really fucking jealous of them people because they could say no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I know what you're so saying. I mean, I was like, oh, you know, like, yeah, I'll have a hundred of them. And, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it just. I know what you're saying, but do you think that with you being the the, the founder and director of the the drug charity Loop, because I work for made festival for for luke mcgovern and them boys and i i i had no idea that that loop was something that you were involved in and i think that's amazing the fact that you know it's not just you know being strict on people and handing them straight over it's more education on trying to say look it's been confiscated yeah exactly so if i tell you no this is a great story in the 80s, and I'm showing my age, they had a thing called Just Say No. Just yeah. Say No. I've heard about, I've heard about it. Right? <laughs> with Grain Chill. Yeah. I you're old enough for Grain Chill. I, I have heard about it. Wasn't it when they, didn't they go to the White House or something like that? Just Say it No. It was like a high school in London, this high school thing. And anyway, in, in Grain Chill, they had someone called uh, uh, Zamo, and he got uh, addicted to heroin, and then he dies. And you go, oh, okay. So when Just Say No came on, and you were like, say no to what? And they went, drugs. And he went, what the fuck are they? <laughs> and we all went out looking for these things 
hardcore drugs. So then suddenly you had to, and you didn't die. So then you went, well, that was bollocks, funny. So then you were lied to. Just the same as when you turned around and went, yeah, and you lied to us about Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and Star Wars. You know, I meant like, the Jedi's real. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, okay. And, and, and that's been the problem. If you tell people no, that is not the way to do it. The way is to educate people. Every human being's got the ability and the freedom of choice, and you must allow people to make that choice. And if you can give them as much uh, information uh, and compassion and understanding, hopefully they will or won't make the right choices. Yeah. And them, them choices can just be, you know, like, oh, I've half or have a quarter or I'll, you know, I'll just do this or just do that. Have an awareness rather than just, you know, education is definitely a massive thing because i mean i'm i'm 25 now when 26 next month but i mean when i went v festival when i was 18 i remember double dropping and didn't know anything about drugs and and, and then it hit me and then i was like probably gonna die here I, I really don't feel like i'm gonna make it through this and that's a big thing is it's all well and good you know I get, I get that they're illegal for a reason but it's all well and good police clamping down in governments and councils but it's not going to stop people taking it like if you shut a club it just goes elsewhere so yeah. you might as well educate people and it's like what well, that's why i really like holland is because whenever i've been there for events like they'll openly post in the event pages oh this is a dangerous drug that's going around if you are going to take it only take a quarter or half that that's that's what it should be about <laughs> Harm reduction. Like yeah. All you can try and do is reduce the harm. People are going to do stupid stuff anyway. You mm. know, I'm not that necessarily taking drugs is a stupid thing. You know, like, I can't... I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for drugs. Yeah. Right, I'm wrong. You know, like, there, there is some... There is things to them. There, is, there are reasons why they're illegal. Sometimes I think it's definitely for a health reason and other stuff. Sometimes I think it's a spiritual reason. Yeah. And, and you know... There's emotions and feelings and things that are opened up by doing that. Yeah. Um, and if you just say to people, oh, no, oh, you'll die. And then that first person at the school does it and they don't die. And you're like, hmm? oh, okay. <laughs> then everyone just piles in, don't they? Yeah. You know, it's like, so harm reduction, very much harm reduction. And, and if, sadly, because I also, for me, the whole legal high thing was nuts. We, um, some of the background of the loop or the starting of it was me and a friend who helped me start the loop uh, or unclassified as we started off were at a party with a load of professors and school people and all this stuff and it was whatever time in the morning and I've heard the word oh MDMA and I've just gone fuck you get some out wallop and then I've gone fucking hell that, that doesn't feel too right and then this guy's talking and I'm like what the fuck you know and he went oh I'll give you this uh, what was it, 5-APB or something, like this, this, and he's like, oh, it's a bit like LSD with ecstasy, and I was like, right, okay, because I really feel like I'm going to punch you already, do you know what I mean, like, I turned, you know, I was like, Bleh. you know, the person I was with was a real, he, 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 sadly, he's out in the wilderness at the moment, but he was an ex-former crack and heroin addict, you know, the full genre, it fucking, you know, and uh, he went, let's fucking go, Wolf. This is proper moody. And we're like, right, okay, so we got. And I went back to my, my flat, and the walls were bleeding. 
and dead people were coming to me and talking to me who I know and you just went fuck me and I'd taken a lot of shit you know like I was no it's, it's not about boasting but I and I was like what the fuck did this guy give us and he was talking about buying it on the internet and all this stuff so anyway <laughs> at the end of that evening I went and played on Unity Radio and I was fucking out there yeah but going out to the Maxi Low Riders and going out weird shout outs and everything and people just like get off the radio game off like off and the next day I woke up and phoned this guy and just went who who you know who what the, was that and he went oh here's the Facebook page buy it on the internet boom 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 here's the Silk Road Here's this. I mean, this really pisses me off. This was Bitcoin at 0.14 pence. <laughs> I was like, I'm not getting involved in that. <laughs> Damn, that was one you missed, wasn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and that really, I was like, fuck me. Okay, if you go into a dark alley or you go somewhere, you know you shouldn't go and you buy drugs and you know you shouldn't do that. That's one thing. Ordering a substance and it being sent to you in the post and you being convinced that it's legal, you know, legal. But there's nothing fucking legal about it. It's unclassified. It's, it's just a powder and no one knows what it is. And that really got, you know, got my fucking tits, got right on my, you know, it got me going. And I was like, we need to do something about this. Yeah. We'd already had Meow Meow and, and Methadone. And I tried that a few times and I was like, shit speed. I really feel like it did anything and, but this this thing just blew my mind completely, like dangerously, and um, dead sort of the crusade started from there. And yeah. then you realised spice was being sold in petrol stations, and, you know. Mad, isn't it? Awesome, awesome madness. And so I, I campaigned as much as I could to have those uh, stopped, rightly or wrongly, because we did then start to incriminate a load of people, and you would damned if you do and damned if you didn't and I thought well what, what are you really trying to do it well save save the kids the kids are the people who are going to be the most exposed yeah definitely uh, and, and that that was that was the start and then we got with Professor Fiona Misham and you know she's kick ass can't can't fuck with her yeah <laughs> she's like the Andy C of the criminology <laughs> you know what I mean or the yeah. one. you know it's like great so alright and um yeah, it just escalated from there. And we've done some amazing stuff. Um, but obviously always in the background of the, the government not wanting it. Yeah. And really being pushed against. And so that also helps inspire me into being sober because you can't stand there and say, this is this and this. I don't believe you can. And then and then be off doing it. You know what I mean? Even though you can, because we're harm reduction. We're not sobriety. Yeah. But, but it does put you in a stronger position to say, okay, I've done it in the past and th- th- this is why I'm I'm doing it now. It, it should, by rights, make them view it in a more favourable position. But we, we both know, obviously, you, you operate on a, on a much higher level. But, you know, obviously, I, I don't deal with councils or anything directly, but I work for people who do. And I think, unfortunately, it's like this old, this old school stuck in the ways mentality where it's like, well... You, you need to change your ways because if you just stay how you are... The problem are... Is, 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 is who takes the leap of faith. Mm. So council, 
muscles and things and where you can show a harm reduction to people who may well um, uh, have medical issues and, and trying to prevent death and this and that. But also some people will always say, well, you're seen to be promoting it or advocating it. Yeah. You're damned if you do and damned if you don't. I know, it is It is a difficult one, definitely. But yeah. uh, I've only got one or one or two more questions for you. So with your... Um, with you being part of the duo North Base, that's been going for for quite a while now. It's obviously your DJs as well as producers. Uh, how how did you come to meet your obviously collaborative partner, and you know how did it take off? Um, North Base started again. <laughs> it comes back to pie. So I was sick of where I was living, and I decided that I would try and get this flat with Dean Silver in Moss Side. And I was going to go to my side and get clean. And, uh, the irony. <laughs> uh, we were in a flat. And all it had was one of them shit black leather couches. You know, if, sorry, Prem, but your furniture was shit. But I do love you. That's that was the landlord. He's my boy. And um, we had no light bulbs or nothing. And the first night that we sat in there, we made a tune called Turn You On. Um, and the next day, we sent it to Stream and Benga. And uh, they played it on Radio One. Mad. <laughs> um, and um, and we were just off Silver and Prophecy then. Obviously, me and Dean had started Metropolis X amount of years before that. Ten years before that, about ten years, eight years, something like that. Um, and and we just you know went from there, and then well, I think we were also both of us. We, very long in drum and bass jungle music and um hadn't got tired of it but i'd lost my direction yeah you know we i came from a scene where you cut the plates you know there was a whole different thing suddenly our music was just fucking willy-nilly you know and 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 i just again i think drugs and a lot of things have lost my way and i was just like well, i get back to rave and just happy and piano and dubstep was firing at 140 and we we're like fuck it let's just make this 140 rave music and, and, and a load of people just just dived on it and, and it was cool and there was also you know like scream and done burning up clips turned to red light you know what i mean yeah first ep with dread and all that fuck off you know like it was so cool yeah it, 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 you know that's probably one of the best times of my life in that regard. You know, you just, you, we were beyond the tip of the spear, if that makes sense. We were just right in it. Yeah. Now that's, that's sick. But, um, so I don't know. Yeah, again. <laughs> I, know, I know it is hard. That's why, you know, I appreciate we've only got an hour and because the problem is like you're working on one thing, but then you dip into another. Then you go back to what you're doing with North Base. Then you, when yeah. you're working on this, so it, it is hard to, to keep track of everything. But, with with you operating, you know, like the the higher part of the the industry, and obviously you deal with everyone from artists to agents to managers to you know you guys who do the production. How do you see the landscape of the music industry changing in a post COVID nineteen world, potentially for the better or for the for the worse? It's going to be painful. Yeah. There's a saying: when shit goes bad, people in the end just go fuck it and they don't care. And they'll do that for a bit. But it, the sad reality is if you look at America, 3 million people have lost their jobs in the last six weeks. That's an absolute... It's beyond a fuck-up. You might as well have dropped a nuclear bomb. Yeah. Um, 
and hopefully a load of those people bounce back and they get their job. If we pile through on the back of Brexit plus this COVID thing, I think we're in a bad place. The Tories are infamous for not liking us. Hence, they brought in the criminal justice bill to stop us doing illegal parties in the early 90s. I didn't do any, honestly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think it's going to be tight. I have to be honest. It, this this is going to leave a lot of us nowhere to hide. Um, old things aren't going to be there. Wages will be less. Yeah. How are you going to gain a club? I've started speaking to people. Well, we'll have UV tunnels, you know, so the UV light will kill everything on you. But if you're stuck, they go, <laughs> it's fucked. Yeah. You know? So we'll start at probably 500 cap and we'll work from there. Um, but I think it's going to get painful. I think it's going to get really... The artistry, a lot of things. Because since the last time that we had something really fucked up, we... It was a bit different, it was different, do you know what I mean? This now is like, the world's on the internet, the whole thing's there. Music, sadly, feels more disposable. Yeah. Um, there's far more people doing it, which is incredible. You know, and it's really good. But I fear, I fear for staging and production companies. I yeah. fear for venues, big or small. Um, I fear for promoters. How do I convince you to come to my nightclub now and drink from a cup where yeah. someone might cough in it? So we're going to drink from straws or will people stop drinking? Mm. What really is it? Um, but I think people will just let the fuck off because you've also got a couple of generations of kids now, 16, 17, 18, who may well miss this summer from events. And if this was the first summer that you were fucking having it, Jesus Christ, you're going to, you know? Yeah. But it'd be an <laughs> yeah, just went and asked my gran. I haven't got any money on me. I've only got my contactless, so she's chucked me 50p. Do you remember that? You were, you were, I don't know if you remember them days there, people put coins in telephones. <laughs> yeah, well, not long after I was growing up then, the, I think the BT phone boxes now either just get used for someone to sleep in or someone to piss in, so I don't think they really get used for uh, for, for yeah. calls anymore. But yeah, I do apologise. Um, no, 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 no problem at all you, you were just saying then about uh like young young generation coming up yeah i think like half of them uh, madly like half of young people are bang into raving and music and going out and half aren't at all yeah you know and that that's another i wouldn't say scary thing but for a thing for us to understand you know a lot of younger people spend their life now on the internet like this going out and human interaction and raving as we know it isn't so much of a demand or something that they really want. Yeah. It's really so scares me. I'm always like, yeah, well, get out, meet people, boom, have a laugh. Yo, Callum, what are you saying? I know. A lot of them aren't like that. Do you know what I mean? It's not something that, that interests them. So it's our job to obviously put on things that really... 
encourage them to, to get out and I want to do that I've got to shows yeah um, I think we're going to have to come together it doesn't matter what genre it is or whatever it is that you do from live band to performers you know everyone's going to have to sort of stick together otherwise I, I think we'll struggle for a long time yeah I agree completely but we're not we're not top of the government's agenda to be looked after are we no unfortunately not but I mean, that, that's the funny thing is considering like how much like the hospitality industry brings to the economy, it's almost like, oh, yeah, we're, we'll, we'll just deal with you last. And especially like someone like yourself, like you're self-made, like I know you work alongside other people, but you're, you know, you've built these businesses from scratch. Like, you, you know, you haven't had assistance from them. And then it's funny, like you contribute so much to a tax system. And then when actually when you might need a little bit of help, it's it's not there. Yeah, and, and very much we work on music festival tourism and, like say, the nighttime economy and the accumulator in itself. You know, it's all good that, you know, your missus, your mate or whatever working at Dorothy Perkins and someone else working at Uber. Well, if we're not going out, then it, um, is the missus buying a new handbag from Dorothy Perkins? Are you getting the new Supreme T-shirt? Are we getting an Uber to get food first to go and do this? You can't... You, sadly the government can't run a fucking bath excuse my language let alone right. anything else so yeah you know i don't get me wrong I, this this thing isn't a joke so getting making sure that people can go out and they don't get ill or we really limit their chances of getting ill is probably the most important thing yeah definitely this ain't funny is it you know no. like yeah but it's good that you're taking like a responsible approach to that because some of the people I know in the industry are a little bit blase and saying, oh, yeah, we, need, we need to get back to doing raves, etc. And it's like, I get that it's your livelihood, but, you know, there's, there's people's lives at stake here. I think that's a little bit more important yeah. now than, you know, just thinking and about... people will be the people that bounce us back. But, you know, I, I'm a young person. No, I'm not. But, you know, to think, all right, you, I could put a show on you know, people could come, go and see their mum, their grand, someone later, and go and spread this. That's that's not acceptable. Yeah. Until such until such point, we're told to go. Oh, well, fuck it. You know, we, we can't protect you if you get on the plane, and we can't protect you if you do this, we can't protect you if you do that. Then, then, you know, we need a clearer answer about how we can do it and support people. Yeah, definitely. But with um. I think someone's trying to ring you again, mate. Sorry, man. Not, no, it's all good. So, one question that that's um that's in the chat was about top um level artist fees because I you know you you'll know far better than me that you know some some of the artist fees that get thrown about are I mean you, you could say you could say in a way that okay yeah they they do sell the tickets and they you know they bring the crowd but then 
in other respects, you think, well, that that person's turning up for like one or two hours and earning X amount of money. Surely, didn't you? There's, there's going to be a lot. There's going to have to be a lot more compromise and you know collaborations between artist management companies, booking agents, and promoters. Because if the money's not there, then how can an artist demand you know such a ludicrous amount of money? Remember, the market dictates the value. That's the God's honest truth, isn't it? Mm. You know. If this goes the way I think it goes, which is the first set of shows will be 500 capacity shows, then that's the capacity we've got to work with. Yeah. So we're going to have to make that work within those numbers. And making that work within those numbers says, well, you might be a 50 grand DJ, but I can only give you five grand or six grand if I've got 500 people at 20 quid. Yeah. And you better sell them tickets real quick. And, and as an artist, hopefully you've been at home, made loads of music, and now you want to go out on the road and test it. Yeah. It's going to have to be that. And also, you know, like, gone are the days of us probably paying massive deposits. We'll probably just go, there's the booking fee, and on the week of the show, you'll get half the money, and after the show, you'll get half the money. I mean, back in the day, I used to just book people, and they drove to the club, and you just gave them the cash on the night. Mm. You know, like, it's going to have to be those things, because we're not going to be able to be insured. We're not going to... Is the government going to bring some new COVID insurance out to cover us? No. Oh, you. No, so no way. How are we going to do it? Oh, Sunday's been a massive outbreak in Manchester. Everyone go back home. All right, great. Um, you know, what do I do about tonight's show that I've sent you half the money for already and all this stuff? Yeah. You know? So we, we're going to have to work together. Um, I'm actually quite excited about it. So am I, to be honest, because I think... You get, you get lost in the big, big shows, you know, getting people back on the road, getting hungry, you know, it's all true. that stuff. I love standing on the door. I love working the door. A lot of the shows and festivals I do, I'll stand on the door if I can. We're going to have to go and do that at a club level again. Yeah. And I think it would be nice to just see people get in the zone and, 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 and to get back to it from where nearly everyone comes from. And we may well save the underground scene and the underground clubs. And that would be nice, because without them, none of us are anything. Yeah, I think from, from some of the artists that I've been lucky to look after with the artist liaison work I do, some of them have said that they feel like when you're with a bigger booking agent or a manager, it, it's not, you know, criticising them because, you know, the artist is bigger, they get booked to pay to play bigger shows, but they almost feel like, they can't play these intimate events anymore because the value isn't there for the booking agent or the the management. So surely it's going to have to go back to basics because, like you say, if the the events are capped, then the artist might go back to doing actually what they really want to do, not just playing, you know, God knows how many meters away that high up. Actually, there's that there's that connection so gonna, established yeah, again. Back in the mix. Yeah. My, my personal opinion is, is we'll be five hundred cap clubs with because canteens at universities hold 500 people and how are you going to justify the argument because I'll fucking sue the government I'm, I'm up for a war yeah. it's good enough for them there it's good enough for this here and we'll yeah. have to get back on it that's it I'm working on that basis and that basis alone is the only way to work it it's good enough for them it's good enough for us yeah you know? and it's a, the, the understanding this art thing so it's like right okay I've got COVID I cough from my hand I put it on the toilet door there's 500 people in the club, maybe 50 people use that door. Maybe five of them pick it up. But within the spread of 500 people, maybe that's workable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think we'll have to wear gloves in clubs. I think we'll have to have masks. 
I think we'll have to understand how people do or don't drink, if people will drink anymore. A lot of big questions, really, which we're left probably having to provide the answers ourselves and proving it to the government or other people why we are fit and safe to open. You've also got, I think, there's so many establishments that need people. Cricket, rugby, athletics. Yeah. Not big Premier League things. You know, I, I go to local local football clubs, you know what I mean? I think Walsall's and Altrincham's and Stockport's and Kidderminster Towns or whatever. Without the fans, those football clubs, that stuff doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. There's some huge questions. So we're all, as an industry, hotels. A big, a 500-bed hotel. How do they cater for people at breakfast? You can't serve room service, so they're going to have to yeah. come with some or we, we run the risk, or they just go, well, we're shot indefinitely. But it's human nature to want entertainment. Of course it is. And then probably illegal things will start happening. And then that's... But, that, but that's the thing. It's like when you say, like, now it's about being responsible, but it there will come a time in however many months, or if it's, if it's a year, when, you know, f- for me... It's been difficult because I was beginning to gain a little bit of momentum with with everything that I was starting to work on, and then, you know, obviously, you know, don't get me wrong, you you know, you're operating with big festivals and brands, but it is still frustrating no matter what level you're working at, and then to have it all taken this away. Year, this, this year was our biggest year. Yeah. We had Rolling Loud going into several continents. We had Yam going into America. We had our first Yam festival that was going to be in London. Um, yeah, I can't tell, you know, we would have done 14 or 17 festivals this year. Yeah. I was in Puerto Rico when we were cancelled two days before we opened. Yeah. And you know what? Thank fucking God, because we were about to land 17, maybe even 18,000 people from the East Coast of America, of which 10,000 of them were from New York. So we would have just brought potentially a lot of people carrying covid to the island where what to now they've only had a few hundred cases so yeah it's weird how it works you know i know but so, yeah, yeah this thing we'll have to stick together and see see it through i think um like i really looked at these car park rates yay it's a fucking car park and then you go how big's the fucking sound system gonna be oh what was it me and you are the last car at the back I can't see the stage and what stops me from getting out of my car and going over to that car and can I sell alcohol to these people in the car I, I said about 15 of these questions to one of my business partners and they've not called me back about car park racing <laughs> <laughs> nice idea yeah, I suppose it's I suppose it's a time to start thinking outside the box isn't it, what, what can be done to make something happen yeah look, look so long we'll go for at the end of the day we're a species that interacts with other people so we might not want to be you know hugging completely gurning going what's the name where you're from what you had you know? <laughs> but you want to you know get in the groove fucking your side tune you know like you know yeah that's how we are that's our nature i watched the ufc on saturday night and he went what a great fight not me it felt shit didn't it yeah what's the day for
you like, you're going to go, well, like, that's, you know, the 12th man is such a big thing. The crowd to a rate. We can all do these live streams like, yeah, I'm super in it. And don't get me wrong, some of the streams have been great. Some some friends of mine have got fucked up. You know, like they're on the decks and you're like, oh, you're fucked. And you're at home by yourself. I'm like, oh, you know, like, but where's the interaction? Where's the buzz? You're looking at a phone like, oh, there's loads of hearts. Oh, yeah, rewind. But it's, it's not the not, same. Not Definitely. the same as people screaming fuck off at you. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the final question that I've got for you is as someone like we discussed before who you know came through the ranks as someone who's handing out flyers and then DJing and promoting you know you gr- gradually climb the ladder what advice do you have especially really with the circumstances at the moment and how things may change for you know keen new bloods I suppose really like, like myself or other people the next generation coming through, whether they're a promoter or a, or a DJ or agent or manager, anyone that's really looking to progress in the music industry? Um, fuck me, good question. Um, try and take a read of the landscape. You're going to have to take risks, but you're going to have to try and manage the risk. Um, save money. Cash will be king. We're going to go through some weird inflation as well. There's be some weird shit that just goes around. You know, I don't see how a £20 ticket is maintained. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, so find, like I would always say, USP, what's your unique selling point? Well, who are your people? What is it you're looking at doing? How can you do it? Club together. Maybe that person that you hated and was your rival might actually be the person you now need to work with. Yeah. Yeah, you know I mean, and it's going to be better to have fifty percent of what you used to have than nothing of nothing. And there's going to be a lot of people that need help, I think. And so, I don't honestly know. I think if you've got the heat on you now, or you can maintain it, um, don't be scared to try new items and uh, experiment. But just be careful with risk. And I don't just mean risk from COVID, risk financially, risk. You know, like. Because I think this will twist and turn over the next two, four, five, ten years. It's just, you know, there is one thing that's always been said. Whenever this country is in the shittest state, that's when the most parties happen. But whether there's any money to really make in those times is another question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to so keep your friends and your loved ones close, understand, try and understand as much as you can um, and expect the unexpected, I think. Yeah would be my, my advice, but I don't have any clear like, you know, if you want to be a DJ, make tunes. If you want to make tunes, get friends that you can send music to, you know, reach out, the, the internet, communicating with people, learning stuff, learning new skills. Fuck it, if our industry isn't going to open for six to 12 months, see if you can do a online course, further yourself. Uh, there's going to be more people going after less work, so, you know, give yourself the most, best exposure you can the more strings to your bow and the more that you can tell people you've done or you, you're prepared to experience then the more chance you're going to have I think yeah and, and it may well be that we don't open up for six or nine or twelve months here I'm hoping Australia will get open at the end of the year for festivals so it might be be prepared to move change yeah you know I think that's to be honest why 
I mean, for me, like when you said at the very beginning of our conversation that like work, work is your life, um, you know, like if you don't mind me asking, like, if you got if you got kids or a partner or anything, or is it mainly just work? Is work. yeah, work. and and that, and that's the same as and that's the same as me. That's why I don't I don't tie myself down, like you know, been with been with different birds, but I'm not I'm not bothered about being tied down. I'm not bothered about having kids. I'm not bothered about a mortgage or car. If yeah. if I wanted to leave tomorrow and go and move somewhere else, then I then I could do it. And that's how that, that's how personally for me that it's worked. I've you know from the age of like fifteen, it, it, if I wanted to collect glasses in a pub or hand out flyers or work backstage and pour someone's drinks or whatever like it doesn't bother me doing any job and I think that's what's going to have to change in in this new world I think a lot of people have maybe been living a life that was that was too easy um and and yeah, I, you're gonna have to get down and dirty yeah you know, like you gotta be prepared to do anything in this this new world that's coming through so like say get at it um and, you know, for me, I never thought I'd get this time now. This is a blessing. You know, mm. last year I'd done 239 flights. It's fucking insane. I, I, I can't ever imagine going back to that now. Yeah. I actually can't. I just, like, whoa, whoa. Like, it's a bit daunting to even think that I would get back at that and, and be on that thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, I could work 20-hour days, I'll be honest, you know, like, and not think anything of it. Um Definitely. And then just final uh, on the spot question. Uh, what would you say through all the years, whether it's been DJing or promoting, what would you say are your three standout moments? Don't They don't have to be one, two, three, because I know it's probably hard to even pick a top it's three. Funny, but I, I had a, a, a chat yesterday with Mark XCC and we had a, so we used to have a studio at Sankey's and um, Dave, Vincent, the ex-owner of Sankey's, went, will you book a showing, Will, for drum and bass show? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we booked Rodigan and Red Light, and there was someone else on the lineup. And then Dave phoned me, and went, I fucked up. And I was like, what's he done? Anyway, I booked Carl Cox on the same night. <laughs> <laughs> so we had Red Light into Rodigan. And Rodigan at the time, it was when Breakage had just gone hard with New Generals. Manchester at the Sheridan Suite and uh, 
the chief of Greater Manchester Police made red light, a red light, aka clips at the time, and Birmingham's finest, DJ Hazard, the best of the best, love you, Scott. He made them carry on playing until 10.30 in the morning, and they came on at 5 in the morning, <laughs> and both of them like, I've fucking play it again, because he was... Some people downstairs having a riot trying to get their coats, and I mean a fucking riot. <laughs> uh, we like riot fuel out the full genre, and then um, what else has been pretty mad? Well, Shay's been pretty mad. Malta was fucking mad. Ghana, Ghana. This New Year's with Afro Nation in Ghana was just fucking nuts. Yeah, it was. You know, working in Africa. And I love Africa, but it was interesting. We were, we'd cleared the locals off the beach who'd come down because this guy had said, I own the beach. And they were like, no, we don't. Our fucking tribe does. It's very ruthless over oh, there, isn't it? It's completely oh, different oh, the way they operate. The army. God bless the general. Thank you, the general. He was the head of the, um, oh God, what did he call it? Kofi Annan, the, um, the UN. Thank you. Sisters here. <laughs> he was the head, like major of the UN. Okay, so there's a fucking war. He piles in there with the blue hats on, like they fucking have it. And uh, he, he got these locals off, and um, they're arguing with him, saying, "Well, look, we on the beach. We should be on the beach." And he says to his man, and he goes, "And I will kill you." And this soldier behind him goes, "And oh, we will do it, sir." And points this machine gun at this local, and I'm stood there like, "Oh." This is exciting. <laughs> just, just in time for doors. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you and I've done a lot of things with events over 25 years, but having the head of the UN army for Ghana helping us do the door was, um, yeah, was one to remember. <laughs> it's a bit different for, than some geezer from Manchester doing the door for you. <laughs> How did that even come about? Like, how how were you were you trying to MC and then you just fell off the stage or how? Oh. And she was just like, 
do you know what was in them? And suddenly, you know, you just start burning like a giant turps or something, you know, like methylated spirits. I've just gone proper red and I've gone, stop me, I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> the night's progressed on and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we're DJing and I'm looking over the decks a bit like that, saying to Dean, like, what the fuck are these people doing here? And he's like, bro, these people are here to see us. They've had a bit too much of something else so I can stand up. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, them sort of days. And then I just remember standing back from the deck to putting this tune on. I just went straight over it and smashed down at the bottom onto the mixing desk. And my beloved friend, Steph, was there going, fucking, what the fuck are you doing, Wolf? Yeah. Classic. <laughs> There's I... loads of things like that. There's a book of them at some point. I was going to say, when you were saying earlier on that you're writing a book... Are you actually writing one at the moment, or were you... I, I occasionally write down memories, because a few people have offered to do it. I, th- I think it would sell, to be fair. I'd, I'd buy it, mate. <laughs> if it's my, got... my famous claim to it is, is that I'm in ill manners, and Plan B, Ben, said, one day, Will, I want to write your book, and we'll make a film from it. <laughs> and that was nearly ten years ago. So... Um, yeah, you know, like there's been a lot more stuff since then. Mate, I mean, well, there's a good one. We're on the set of Ill Manners. I'm playing a police officer in the set of Ill Manners. Okay, it's been United versus Liverpool that day. We've beat them three-one. I'm fucking off mine up, pissed up. Okay, and some lads come along. We're in London. We're in Newark, which is maybe rough, was recently. And these kids went, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take your camera. And I was like, fuck you, come on then. I'm screaming up the road, chasing after him. I've completely forgotten wearing a police outfit, aren't I? Because I'm playing a copper. So I'm <laughs> screaming up the road with this fake truction in me, I'm threatening to batter him. Mad. Once we were warriors, I think it's the, the same. Yeah. Class, but um, yeah, that'll be. Uh... I'll give you a signed copy in 10 years when it's finally done. I'll, ma- I'll make sure to keep hold of it, mate. I'm sure it'll be worth its weight in gold in future anyway. But yeah, Ray, I just want to say, really appreciate your uh, your, your time no I've ta- taken time. most of your Thank evening. You for asking, man. No worries. Hopefully I'll. Uh, you, Same to you. Take, take care, mate. Take care.